Amen. Uh, we're finishing a, a series this week uh, on the Ten Commandments. We've spent the last, I guess, 11 weeks in the Ten Commandments. And this morning we're, we're to the tenth and final commandment. Um, we've entitled the series. Uh, in your worship folder, you should have an insert. It looks like this. Uh, if you're a guest with us, your first time here, uh, you can follow along. One side is the scripture uh, readings, and then on the other side is, is the outline. Uh, we've entitled the series, The Difference Grace Makes. Uh, and really, again, if you're here, maybe, and you're not a Christian, uh, as Christians, we believe grace has come in the person and work of Jesus. Uh, and now, in light of that, we need to go a step further and say that there are ethical stipulations that God's law lays out. And those things matter. It matters how we live as Christians. We were created uh, for obedience. Uh, as one commentator puts it, God's people have an ethical agenda that sets them apart from the world around them. And so the Ten Commandments really do explain for us how life works best. They are comprehensive, uh, even though there's ten of them. Um, I heard it put this week that they are they're, they're the ten probably most radical uh, ethical guidelines that have ever been given uh, to a group of people. So we're up to number ten. We've looked at uh, idolatry. We've looked at uh, taking God's name in vain uh, and how when He puts His name on us, that changes or should change the way we live. We've looked at doing and bringing Sabbath rest as we're commanded in the fourth commandment. We've looked at our submission to authority, how we view authority, or at least are called to, uh, what it means to murder, not only outwardly, but in our hearts, and how we treat people, uh, adultery, uh, stealing, how that reveals our generosity or our lack thereof. And last week, we looked at how much our words matter. Um, I don't know about you, but throughout these weeks, I'm caught in various ways, in ways that I probably before uh, I listened to the sermon, thought about. I, I didn't think about bearing false witness having that much of an impact on my words. Uh, and so I hope that, as we've pointed out before, Psalm 119 talks about how broad the commandments of God are. Uh, this week I was struck by Psalm 119, verse 130, which says, the unfolding of your words gives light. And so I hope that the last few weeks as we've unfolded God's Word, it has brought light. It's brought light into dark places in your life. Uh, and as I think I mentioned the first week, uh, the, the challenge of this is we've got to get down into some nasty places. Uh, it, it's, it's hard work that's required for us to repent. Uh, but not just repent, repent well. Repent uh, intelligently, uh, as, as those who are in the, the counseling field often say. Uh, so let's read the passages together. There are four of them, uh, beginning with Deuteronomy 5. Again, they're printed in the insert, and they'll be on the screen behind me as well. Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 and 21. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And then the teaching of Jesus from Luke 12. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then from 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's words to us, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. And then finally, James. A couple of verses from James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, this is God's Word to us this morning. Uh, again, we're at the end of the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment, think of it like this, it's bookend, bookended, that is, with the first command. Uh, this week, as uh, Drew and I were talking a little bit about this, he brought out this point, uh, and I thought it was good. Uh, the first commandment is really trying to address idolatry on the vertical scale. Uh, the tenth commandment is addressing idolatry on the horizontal scale. Okay? When it comes down to it, the ten commandments begin and end with idolatry. And we'll get to that more uh, in a few minutes. But here's the challenge. Listen to this. Here's the challenge of the Tenth Commandment. It's the only one that really goes after our hearts directly. Um, all the other commandments are linked with this one. Breaking other commandments always start by breaking number ten. Okay? Do you hear that? Breaking number 10 is the beginning to break any of the others. Alright? You saw a little bit of that in James. Um, think for a second about the way we use this term covet, right? Uh, the, one of the ways that I use it on a regular basis, and I'm, I'm probably going to change now, at least unless I start thinking in more positive terms, uh, we say I covet your prayers, or we covet your prayers, right? Uh, when I was a teenager... Uh, we would often use it negatively, at least we wouldn't say the word covet, but we would use the we'd say I'd kill for that. Oh, man, I'd kill for one of those. Now, being a dumb teenager that I was at the time, uh, 
I didn't realize what I'm saying is, listen, if I could kill that person or that salesperson, that friend for that thing, I would do it. Uh, that was a little sick now that I look back on it. But then again, I'm, you know, I'm still sick today, just maybe a little more matured sick. Uh, but that, that was kind of the way it worked out in my life. And so think about the way in which you and I use that term or we, we talk about how much we want things or desire things. And that's really what we're getting at. Now, where are we going? If you flip over to the outline, I'm going to try this morning to avoid being too clinical. And by that, I mean really just talking psychologically and diagnosing hearts and things like that. But at the same time, a lot of that needs to happen. Uh, what's really scary for me about this commandment is what it exposes in us. It exposes a lack of contentment. Uh, Drew's alluded to that uh, in his prayers this morning. Why are we so discontent? So we want to explore that as well. So three, three things really that we're going to focus in on are one, coveting. What's it mean? Two, its dangers. Why is it so deep? All right, why is it such a problem? Why do we do it? And then third, it's cure, okay? So it's meaning, dangers, and cure. First, it's meaning. Let's start there. Uh, just to give you an idea, what, what does this word mean? Uh, in the Hebrew, on the positive end, it means to delight or take pleasure in. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, uh, it says, God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight. Okay, that word pleasant, same word that's used here. Again, in a positive aspect. Now, the very next chapter records the first case of coveting in the Bible. Okay? The first time someone covets in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3, verses, excuse me, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what? What happened? What are the next two words? She took. She went after it. Something that God had made pleasant for food, Eve's desire for really took control of her and she ended up sinning. She coveted that food. Now, the New Testament meaning is a little more in your face. It's a little more clear. The Greek word that's used for coveting means inordinate or excessive desire or want. Okay. In fact, Paul says in two different places in Colossians and Ephesians that coveting and idolatry are the same thing. Okay, so Paul's trying to get at the significance of coveting and what it leads to. Anytime you carry out one of the many lusts of the flesh, you are coveting, you are desiring. And he's trying to get at that in equating the two. So as a summary, uh, just by way of a definition, coveting is an ungoverned selfish desire. Okay, it's a craving that controls you. Have you ever had one of those? Some of you are having one right now for crispers, Tijuana flats, whatever your poison, maybe it's the crock pot at home, you know, whatever it might be. Coveting is something you, you it dominates your life. It's so excessive that you will invest, you will go after all your happiness, all your hope, and you'll put it in that thing. That's really at the heart of what it means to break this commandment. Now. To understand this in greater depth, we need to look at our desires and how they work because it really is going to help us better understand what we are prone to covet or where we tend to place our desires. Okay, Our desires reveal a lot about 
us as individuals because they drive our motivation to behave in certain ways. Now, if I crave Moe's, right, I will drive, I will get in the car and I will drive 30 minutes to 35 minutes to Moe's. And all the way, I will moan and complain about why there's not a Moe's in Winter Haven. I want a Moe's in Winter Haven all the way over as I'm going to fulfill my desire, mind you, right? I'll, I'll still complain and moan and whine the whole way. My desires motivate me to behave in certain ways. I could have $5 in the bank account, right? Or better yet, overdrawn and be a quarter of a tank of gas. But I've got a credit card in my hand, in my pocket. I'm going to Moe's. I don't care. So my craving can affect my behavior uh, positively. That is debatable with the Moe's illustration. Uh, but it can also cause irrational, very sick behavior. Do you remember in the news, and she was actually uh, on trial, she was in court this week, the woman, the, the jealous lover, right, who was dating the astronaut, she was an astronaut, and what did she do? She drove, because she found out he might be dating this other lady, she drove straight from Houston to Orlando, to the Orlando International Airport. Uh, they think, now this is just makes it a little more salacious, so I'm going to tell it. She was wearing Depends, so she didn't even have to stop to go to the bathroom, Right? That's how obsessed she was about getting to this woman and then chasing her down and, you know, threatening to kill her in the parking lot. You remember this story? That's how you all we all heard that. and We went, that's just stupid. Why would she do that? Well, the same reason that you would get in your car and drive 30 minutes to Moe's because of this craving, this 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 intense desire that just began to control you. Right. We break the 10th commandment when our desires begin to rule us when we begin to actually live for things like money, success, power, looks, sex, love. And the frightening part is that our culture and even much of popular Christianity has baptized our goals, our longings, our demands, what what you often hear called felt needs, and said that Jesus wants us to have them and more. Right? You can have your best life now. The problem isn't, according to this uh, way of thinking, the problem wasn't the desires themselves. It was that you weren't relying on Jesus to give them to you. Okay? The only problem with this thinking, my friends, is it ain't true. It's an insult to the Gospel. Look at the prayer items at the bottom here. I put in number two. Excuse me, I put in number three. That flee to the cross and give thanks for Jesus because He didn't live the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve so our felt needs could be met. He didn't. One writer says, the good news of Christ is not an add-on or a religiously toned way to meet pre-existent desires and needs. That's not that. It's not like you get Him thrown in and oh boy, now I get all my felt needs met. That's basically saying it's okay to covet. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions as you as you think about what coveting is. I want you to think about, as I ask these, what you're most prone to covet, like what the answer to these questions might be. And again, these are diagnostic kinds of questions, but I think they're good. Questions like what makes you tick? What what sun does your planet revolve around? What lights up your world? Right. Uh, Where do you find refuge or safety? 
What, what do you organize your life around? Okay, these are these are trying to get at what's underneath the decisions you make. What's driving? What what's motivating your behavior? What cravings are controlling you? Now, um, I might get uh, roasted for this, and you know I don't care. Drew made a uh, illustration from some chick flick a long time ago, so uh, I'm going to do it too. One thing that is is a refuge for me. Now, here's the funny thing. I could not have talked to God all day, read my Bible, thought about anything spiritual. But man, I tell you, by the time I get home, I'm ready for the kids to be in bed and Jamie and I to sit down to watch Gilmore Girls. Okay? Yes, it's a movie about this single mom and her child and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a girly thing. But I really like it. Okay? You make fun of me all day long. I'm standing by Gilmore Girls. It's good stuff. Okay. Now I seek refuge in that, right? It, it it is it's a security blanket for me. I mean, it really is. And when Jamie's too tired at the end of the day, oh, there's no, we can't watch Gilmore Girls tonight. I'm too tired. Oh. I guess I don't know. I guess I'll have to read something. You know, I just get I just get I get so bummed out. Now there's nothing wrong with my point here is there's nothing wrong with that refuge in and of itself. That's a good thing to want to sit down with your wife and watch a program. It's when that desire becomes a driving, controlling, excessive thing in my life. I have to have time with Jamie for Gilmore Girls. I have to have, you know, and it begins to just it's like this mantra I start to say during the day. Then I know it's a little over the top. Okay? Now, another, another window into my life personally is, okay, a few years back, we bought our first Apple computer. Now, I want to take you back six months prior to buying the computer. When all I did every day, and I'm not exaggerating, after I got done teaching class, in between classes, before the classes started, at the end of the day, I would go to Apple.com. And I would lust over every product on there. Wow. And then I saw this little thing at the bottom. You can apply for a credit card. They'll give you a line of credit. You can buy it up and it's zero percent. I'm in for that. So what do you think I did? Well, I waited, waited, and waited, and eventually, you know, I did it. But I'm telling you, that controlled me for months. That was all I did. In fact, I'm ashamed to say, but confession time, I'd wake up in the morning thinking, when am I going to be able to buy the iMac? And when we finally bought the iMac and it was too late to set it up, I got up the next morning. It was like, I was like five and I was waiting to open up, you know, I don't know what it was, a toy or something. I was just going, you know, Jamie's calling. Where, where are you? I'm playing with the computer. Leave me alone, you know, but it controlled me. It really did. Now listen to this quote. In our idolatry or our coveting, we make gifts out to be supreme goods and we make the giver into the errand boy of our desires. That's just gross. Is it not gross to you? You find it funny that I'm up here talking about the computer. But that's gross. I mean, I wanted it that bad. I don't care, I'll go into debt. That's just gross. Now, let's look at why it's such a tremendous problem. Why do we do it? Well, this is number two. The bottom line, why we covet is because of unbelief. Underneath our coveting, 
Now think back to the answers that you might have thought in your brain to the questions I asked you a few minutes ago. Underneath those things that we are most prone to covet, those things we want so badly, are idols. And to ask yourself questions like those are critical because it helps us reveal those things. It helps us get inside our hearts and really try and ask what what desires are driving me. And that's hard work. Now, listen to this quote by uh, Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York City uh, in our denomination. He says, Every sin is rooted in the inordinate lust for something which comes because we are trusting in an idol rather than in Christ for our righteousness or salvation. Therefore, in sin, we are always forgetting what God has done for us in Christ and instead are being moved by some idol. Okay, Unbelief always results in these ungoverned, insane desires. I mean, to want a computer that bad? Can I get an amen? That's just insane. Jonathan, that's insane. It is. It was. I'm going to give you another Apple illustration in just a minute. Just wait. Okay? Now, I want to look at one particular form of unbelief that leads to covetousness so often. It's discontentment. Drew related, uh, Drew alluded to it earlier. Uh, we've sung about it. We're going to sing about it again in just a few minutes. And here's the problem. Our culture makes a constant push toward the new or the fresh or the never before seen, right? Everybody with me? I mean, for crying out loud, what drove everybody going to see this is it? It's never before seen footage of Michael Jackson, right? We thrive on that new, that fresh, that, 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 that tangible whatever, right? Advisor, uh, advisors, a- advertisers, they breed these insatiable lusts into us, right? Because they say, oh, you've earned it. Oh, you're worth it. And so after a while, what happens? Well, I start to think, you know, I'm entitled to that. Dadgummit, I, I deserve an iMac. I've worked hard. So I go online and I buy one. Now, <clears throat> yeah, let me tell you how this works in my own life, right? To this day, again, I'm ashamed to say, uh, Drew does not have to work. If, if Drew looks through, we have this little hallway thing now in our new offices, and my computer faces this way, so like his eyesight's right into it, right? So he can see if I was looking at pornography or something, right? Well, he doesn't need to be checking for pornography like naked women. He needs to be checking for pornography like Apple products. <laughs> Scrolling across the screen. Jonathan, what are you buying? Nothing. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. I'm just looking. Oh, the iPod, the brand new one. Oh, and now it does video. Oh, and they can make it in pink now. Right? I mean, Apple, seriously, Apple has caught on to this, right? You, you, if you don't have an iPod, you'll get one eventually anyway. But what Apple has done is they're always updating. They're always making stuff newer and better and more, more cool. Because they know deep inside of us, there is this lust after new stuff because we're so discontent. Now, flip the uh, uh, insert back over to 1 Timothy 6. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul contrasts someone driven by their desires with someone who walks in godly contentment. And I just want to draw, I'm not going to read it, I just want to draw your attention to certain words. Okay? Look at verse 4. Someone doesn't agree with our doctrine. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Uh, 
Go down to verse uh, 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. Look at verse 10. It is through this craving, this craving for money, uh, that many have wandered away. I mean, didn't anybody ever, when he was at his height of making billions of dollars, did nobody ever ask Bernard Madoff? Bernard, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? You know, you can't keep all this stuff. When you die, it's gone. I mean, it's just, you start to think about it and you realize how silly it is. How gross it is. Look at the James 4 passage. In James 4, James again describes this grossness and ugliness that accompanies discontentment. He says, no contentment equals no peace. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? Within you? He's describing this restlessness. Because our desires are warring with each other. Now notice how he shows that coveting leads to breaking the other commandments. He says you desire and you don't have, so what do you do? You murder. You covet and you can't have, so what do you do? You fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask wrongly and you don't get it because you want to spend it on your desires. Discontentment is really saying God, you aren't enough. You aren't generous enough. You aren't wise enough. And so we need to find ways to get around that. Now, lastly, I want to look at Luke 12. Jesus' teaching on, on, on covetousness is, is worth exploring because uh, it's, it's one of the few places that he, that he talks about it. But look at the first two words uh, after, or excuse me, the first two words of the quote. Uh, the English Standard Version you have in your outline or in your insert says, take care. Okay? The Greek is really, beware. Watch out. Now, does Jesus have to say that about adultery? Watch out, you're committing adultery. You know? I mean, uh, <clears throat> if, if, a, if a guy comes to me and says, you know, I'm struggling with pornography. That's pretty clear to him that he is, right? But... How many times, and Drew can probably attest to this, he's been doing this longer than I have, how many people have come up to him in, in uh, you know, the last few years, Pastor, I'm greedy. I have a problem with covetousness, Drew. Probably not very many. Because again, Jesus is warning us to be on our guard because it's so... Uh, it's so uh, under underneath the surface. The danger is you don't even realize you're doing it. Now, what's this rich man's problem in Luke 12 in the parable? Well, first, he's the only one in the story. You notice that God's not in the story. He has no counselor. He has nobody talking to him. No, by counselor, I mean friends. It's just him. He's making decisions left and right on his own. It's only himself and his selfish greed. Now, suppose this man was an Israelite. He was in total disregard for the law because God isn't even in his vocabulary. And his greed had blinded him of any need because for him, life equaled possessions. That's why Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And it begs the question for you and I as we read this, where and what are you laying up? 
Because he gets to the end and he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Where and what are you laying up? And do you know what happens right after this passage? Jesus says in the very next verse, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Isn't that amazing? That there's a direct correlation between the level of coveting and inordinate over-desires in our lives and the amount of anxiety we have. They're about the same. They run parallel. Now, it's this bad. Uh, let's talk about the cure as we finish. How does the Gospel of Jesus Christ make us people who don't covet? How does it give us the power not to covet? Well, first, faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only hope you have to change. Because Jesus gives you a new heart. New heart. Listen to this. The power of God for salvation is the Gospel. And in the Gospel, Jesus, it's not about desire fulfillment. It's about desire replacement. Did you hear that? It is not about desire fulfillment. It's about desire replacement. He takes your old ones. He gets rid of them. He puts new ones in. And it's why cynicism has no place in the Christian life. It's what keeps pastors going. It's why we have to remind ourselves, hope, 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 hope. Because, you know, you often tend to see slow growth in yourself and in other people. But, He is in the business of replacing our desires. Secondly, not only faith is the cure, but to recognize our identity. Alright, we've been singing about our identity. Jesus Christ, if your faith is in Him, He has given Himself for you. On the cross. I mean, He would live the life that you and I should have been living as rebels, and He would substitute His own life for our life. As we sang earlier, my name is graven on His hands. My name is written on His heart. He's given Himself for me. He's my high priest. He's interceding for me. But not only that, He's given Himself to me in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you sang earlier, I am bound for the promised land. My, my question is, so what? Unless that has an overflow into your life, unless that reality has a direct impact into your life, in the way you live, and the way you behave, uh, then you're just seeing words. So not only faith, not only our identity, but embracing the story. Knowing the story always precedes uh, knowing the law. We have to embrace the story before we can obey the law, or at least obey the law by faith. Because the story is the one that changes hearts. A command will not change the heart. If I stand up here and I say to you, stop coveting. Stop coveting. Uh, okay. Be content. Just, just be content. And then I leave you to figure it out. If I do that, versus calling you to meditate on the story and trusting that God is going to melt your heart as you meditate on that story. Uh, I, I, I'm, not do, I'm doing you a complete disservice unless I call you to remember the story. And out of that, out of that, if you go back to Deuteronomy 6, remember what Moses says is to be the reason for Israel's obedience? Not duty or fear, but to retell the story. When your children ask you, say, we were slaves in Egypt and God brought us out with a mighty hand. 
and an outstretched arm? How will we ever become people who don't covet, who aren't driven by our sinful cravings? Well, by reminding ourselves and each other of the story, the story of our salvation. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, before the Ten Commandments are introduced, Moses says, uh, when, God, when, when God spoke on Horeb, you all were afraid to speak to him in the fire, and so you asked me to go up there. So Moses went up there, and he stood between the people and God. Right? Very dangerous. And he took the law. God gave him the law. He came down off the mountain with the law. But he didn't bring down off the mountain an ability to keep the law. He didn't bring the people new hearts. Because he couldn't. So, fast forward to the New Testament. The New Testament's clear. Jesus went up a mountain also. Only, he didn't stand between God's fire and the people. He absorbed God's fire. Right? He took God's fire head on so that He could come down from the mountain with new hearts for God's people. And through Jesus' sacrifice, we get new hearts with a new motivation for obedience. As I said earlier, God's in the business of replacing our desires, not fulfilling them. That's what He's about. So I would ask you, have you forgotten that in Christ you've been made alive if your faith is in Him? Have you forgotten you've been raised and seated in the heavenly places with Jesus? Have you forgotten that you've been given the Holy Spirit who's a down payment on our inheritance? The inheritance of eternal life? Jesus gave up His treasure in heaven. Listen, Jesus gave up all of His treasure in heaven so that He might make you His treasure. I know you've heard us say that before. But if your heart begins to really, really dwell on that, then His grace will slay the idols of your heart. And He will slowly but surely replace the lust of the flesh with the desires and the fruit of the Spirit. When you begin to be overtaken by that, that reality, then Jesus will become your treasure. If that's true, how could we ever give our heart to something else? How could I ever lust after stupid Technology. What in the world is that going to do for me? When, when, when God Himself has given His Son that I might live. You were made for godly desires. And we've talked about this before. But it looks like this. A life of selfless neighbor love. And you only get that through the power of faith in Jesus. If we could become a congregation that lived like this, then we could change a city. We could change the world because we'd be living by the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So let's pray that He would give us that ability this morning. Uh, our great God and Father, um, how overwhelming it is to consider that You would give Your only Son uh, for Your enemies. But we thank You that You did. We thank You that You have been faithful where we have been unfaithful. We thank You that uh, You have loved uh, rebels. <laughs> those who, who, who didn't love You. Uh, and we do pray, Lord Jesus, that by Your Spirit You would replace our desires. You would create in us a love for You and a love for others. Not for their stuff. And that You would create contentment in our hearts. Pour contentment into our hearts. So that we might reflect Your glory. 
uh, here and to the ends of the earth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.